Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by a very inspiring woman named Sarah Chipman. Sarah has been on an incredible life journey, which started not so easily when she was dealing with an eating disorder at the age of 12. She battled this mental health condition for years and has come out the other side as truly somebody that is not only healed, but doing some amazing healing work in our community. Sarah's here to share her story with you today, so I really encourage you to sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode. I have to say, as I'm sitting here, it's been just a very energetic day. I'm about to sit down with Sarah Chipman and there's a full moon. And I don't know about you, but when there's a full moon, I just feel like the energy expands and there's just so much. I can barely contain it. I uh, just went to the gym for a workout to try to burn off some of this energy so I can be with Sarah uh, fully for this interview. I discovered Sarah recently through um, Instagram and found that she was leading this incredible group in my hometown of Winnipeg called the Soulful Nourishment Group. It's uh, a group that brings together people that are dealing with addiction and it gives them a safe place to speak and to name what's going on and to feel supported and to empathize with each other. It's just incredible. She's just a brilliant woman, somebody that is living mind, body, and spirit here on the planet. And she's here today to share her story and hopefully inspire us to also connect with our mind, body, and spirit and be more vulnerable and truthful and open with uh, our life and who we are and who we're here to be. So before we dive into the podcast interview with her, I also wanted to just... um, encourage you guys to sign up for my daily motivational intentions at my website, keithmcpherson.ca. And I also wanted to thank all of you for tuning in so regularly to this podcast. Um, Be sure to subscribe if you do listen regularly so that you don't miss any episodes of great guests that are coming up. Uh, Every week I sit down with a thought leader, somebody that's doing amazing things in the world, and we have a discussion. And it's um, just a really, really great chance to open our hearts and our minds to uh, just experiencing the connection that happens between all of us. So today, speaking of connection between us, I'm excited for you to meet the very, very inspiring Sarah Chipman. All right. Well, there's so many words to describe this next guest on the show that come to mind. I've been following you on Instagram and uh, I think of courageous, brave, uh, inspiring, um, somebody that I am just so excited to spend time with to get to know better right now. So thank you so much for being here. Sarah Chipman is on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I understand this is the first time you've been on a podcast. Yes, it is. And I feel like you're such a natural. (laughs) We've just been chatting before this and I'm like, oh my gosh, you have such an incredible story. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited for people to hear more about um, all of it. And uh, yeah. This is great. It is. So, um, take me back. Like I, I've, in the context, I've kind of set this up in the intro and stuff already. But take me back to when um, all of this began for you. I think, like way back, beginning. Oh, I'm gonna say I was honestly. I think I was 12 when uh, my mental health issues started. Uh-huh. Um, I remember being in junior high, and for some reason, I would just not eat my lunch and I would throw it out and hide it. 
um, was very anxious. Uh, I've now tied it to the fact that I, right at that same age, I was diagnosed with a connective tissue disease. Um, so I think I felt very out of control of my body and without any real self-awareness at that point in my life, um, I kind of was just looking for some way to regain the feeling of control over what was happening. Wow. And it just... What is a connective tissue disease exactly? I haven't heard of that before. So the one that I have is called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, my body doesn't synthesize collagen properly, so I have very unstable joints. Uh, it was, it's much more managed now, uh, but when I was younger, I had very, very frequent dislocations. Now it's more minor ones, but still pretty much every day. So. Okay. And so at the time, like you, when you look back now, you feel that that was part of the reason why all this mental health stuff came up for you? I think so. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, th I think that because when I was really young, thinking back to being an actual like small child, I didn't have those tendencies. I was not anxious at all. I was actually quite fearless as a really young kid. Hmm. Um, and that changed pretty quickly. And even, you know, it wasn't even that long ago, but at that time we weren't talking about mental health. Um, I, I actually, my general physician diagnosed me, diagnosed me with depression when I was 14. And we didn't even know what to do with that because no, I didn't know any other people that had any mental illnesses. I didn't, it was still so taboo. So I, I just didn't deal with it at all. Wow. Mm -hmm. So this came out in terms of an, an eating disorder as well. Yes. Is that, yeah. And so yes. at the time, was this like completely a secret, like, or did anybody else know about it? It was, a, I did not admit that I had an eating disorder until I was 18. Okay. Yeah. So it was very, time. very secret. Yeah. Um, I think my parents started to pick up on it a little bit throughout high school, but they didn't really know what to do about it and huh. I don't blame them at all. So. And if you were to describe what it was like before coming out and, and naming this, like, um, what, what was the experience like to be there? Very lonely. Um, I've always had this feeling of just being misunderstood or that I was different than other people. And, um, I just didn't know, I felt uncomfortable in my own skin and I didn't know what to do about it. Um, and it took a really long time until I found other people that had the same sort of feelings that I did. And that's when things started to change. Wow. So yeah. what was the turning point where you finally went, I need to do something about this? Well, it wasn't my decision. Um, oh. Well, I guess ultimately it was. Uh, it was my dad. He was really worried and he was at his wits ends with me. And he's, he said he gave me an ultimatum, uh, even though I was an adult and said, like, you have to go to treatment. This is not okay. Um, I'm not going to watch you blow up your life. I love you too much. Uh, it's not my job to watch you kill yourself slowly. So you have to go uh, or I, we can't help you anymore. Wow. And he's told me uh, a couple times now that that's the hardest thing he's ever had to do. And he doesn't know if he would have actually been able to go through with it had I not agreed, but I agreed to go. And uh, then everything started to get better. Wow. That must have taken a lot of courage for him too, to, oh. to have that conversation with you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Very much so. And so during that conversation, when he, I guess, put it all out there for you, what was it that clicked for you where you, you said yes? I'm going to look at this. Well, I think it was probably the first time that there was going to be a negative implication for my actions. Uh, I didn't want to lose my family. I didn't, I had kind of felt pretty invincible up till that point and I'd gotten away with it and no one knew what was happening. And there's also that idea that, you know, 
you're going to have to do something about it if you admit that it's a problem. And up until that day, I still always said, I don't have an eating disorder. Leave me alone. I'm fine. I'm not talking about this because as soon as I say the words, I have an eating disorder, now I have to do something about it. Right. And it becomes this thing. And right. And I didn't, I was terrified to gain weight. I didn't want anything to do with gaining weight in it for any reason. So it was, uh, it was a really tough decision. Wow. And so you've, you, you say yes. And then as we were talking just before the podcast, like we're in Winnipeg and at the time there wasn't really any resources, it sounds like. No. Um, I had gone to, uh, a therapy program in Brandon that, uh, was kind of helpful, but really didn't, it really didn't work for me. Um, and then when we looked at the, the options in Winnipeg, there was one and it was just to be in the general psych ward at health science center. Um, which we, as a family, decided that wasn't really the right environment for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I understand now that that has changed and that program has really grown. Um, but at the time, it was that's all that was the only option that there was. So wow. I went to uh, Homewood Health Center in Guelph, Ontario, for three months. For three months, and what yeah. was that experience like for you? It was crazy. I uh, the first three days, I was just purely angry. Uh, I remember calling my parents every day and just being so mad at them that they'd made me go. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough because you've gone for so many years of, you know, making your own eating patterns and none of them are healthy. And then you get there and somebody says, this is what you're going to eat for breakfast. You have, you have a bit of choice, but it's like this, you have to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's not really any exceptions. You don't have to finish your lunch on the first day, but by dinner on your first day, you have to eat every bite on your plate. And that's really scary. So it started out rough, but then I, I loved it. Like I, I was on a mission that I was going to get out of there in 12 weeks. Cause it can take longer if you don't hit certain checkpoints. Mm-hmm. And by the end I was talking to my therapist and saying like, are you sure I'm ready to leave? Like, I think I maybe need one more week. And, um, I met one of my very best friends in the whole world. I was just her maid of honor in, um, September there and made some really good connections with people and finally stopped feeling alone. So things really wow. started to change. Yeah. That's like, I mean, we're, we're touching just the surface. I imagine it must've been quite transforming to, yes. to be there. So beyond, um, eating your full meals, like three meals a day, mm-hmm. what else was taking place like in between meals? Um, well, I think uh, I built a lot of acceptance while I was there and a lot of self-awareness of who I was and where some of the stuff was coming from. And, uh, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't perfect after that. Like that was, I went to treatment when I was 21, I think I have such a bad timeline, but, um, and it, that was just the beginning. Like I still had to continue to put a lot of work in, um, from that point forward in order to get to where I'm at today. Uh But there I was the the first time that I was in a group therapy setting, um, which was very hard for me. I was very socially awkward and actually had a very hard time talking in groups before I, or talking really at all before I went, uh, into that program and was almost held back a couple times in, in the program because I wasn't sharing in group. How did you move through that? I wanted, I don't know. I just (laughs) did. Like it just finally happened. Um, there was so many different therapeutic modalities that they, that they took us through, you know, we wrote a letter to our eating disorder and burned it. And then we had certain questions that we had to answer in group therapy. And I finally one day just let it go. And I just started sobbing in group and let go of so many things that I had never talked about before and uh, felt the release of what that felt like and was like, well, that feels pretty good. So Mm. maybe I should keep trying that. 
Wow. I just want to pause and say, I just see so much bravery in you. Oh, thank you. For going through this. I mean, this is a huge deal. And <clears throat> just watching your story and uh, learning more about your story right now, and the fact that you are not only working through this yourself and have arrived at a place of, uh, from what you're claiming, like not having an eating disorder, which mm -hmm. is fairly recent, you said, mm -hmm. um, and creating space for other people to also work through this and making it more uh, public as opposed to just hidden is something I see you're doing. It's powerful. Thank you. I just really want to name that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so moved by you. Mm, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, I found the most powerful thing out of anything uh, is when you find people that have felt the same thing that you are feeling. Mm. And when you have that idea in your head that I'm crazy and I'm the only person that's ever felt like this. And then you reluctantly uh, share that with other people. And then all of a sudden you look around the room and everyone's heads are nodding and they have, you know, you get that acknowledgement that it's very common and it's, you know, it takes that shame away. Yeah, exactly. I, I sense that there must be so much shame involved in this for people. Oh yeah. From, from what you have described yeah. and what I can only imagine how did how so besides the power of coming together as a group like how do how does somebody move through this you have to be willing um that's that's step number 1 the thing that i've seen with a lot of people is that they don't actually acknowledge or maybe they i don't know they just don't want to get better um cuz it's a very comfortable place to be in a kind of messed up way sure um the way that I like to describe eating disorders, and I would also like to mention that I think all eating disorders are kind of the same. And I think that they're also very similar to having any form of addiction, um, whether it be drugs or alcohol, gambling or sex or shopping or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And I think that those things are a way that we cope with what the actual problem is, which is anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, like all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So it's a coping mechanism, right? And then mm -hmm. you don't want to lose your coping mechanism. And people have this false idea that when you take away the problematic behaviors that all your problems are solved, when the reality is now you're left with all your problems mm -hmm. and you have to find a new way to deal with them. Wow. At the root of it all, like also as you're speaking, what comes up is like, ultimately it's like lack of self-love mm -hmm. or lack of self care, so to speak, at some yeah. level, I imagine. Very much so. Yeah. Or a feeling of aloneness, like you were mentioning, mm -hmm. like these core issues that we all seem to have at some level and we cope in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And others, well, like you say, there's so many different forms of addiction that, that are out there that people will gravitate towards and mm -hmm. it becomes their normal. Absolutely. Yeah. So to break through that is just such a huge thing. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine it's ongoing. Oh, yes. Is there yeah. like coming out on the other end of what you've been through up to this point, are there like proactive or preventative things that you do to maintain this, this place? Um, meditation for sure. Mm. Um, I meditate. I try to do it every day. I don't always, but mm -hmm. um, I really find that that translates to the rest of my life and the rest of my day, um, getting control over my brain and uh, learning about, you know, really deciphering between what is my true self's voice and what is the voice of my ego. 
Wow. Um, what, what does that look like for you? Like, <laughs> I'd love to hear a little more about your meditation practice that way. Like, um, well, I, I actually have uh, my fiance doing it with me now too. So we do a, just a guided meditation uh, on Headspace every morning. Okay. And then uh, I do some work at Temple 23 with Sarah Houck um, with some different healings. And she's given me several different meditation techniques for if I'm stressed or depending on what's happening. Amazing. Um, and you talk about like the difference between your ego and your true self, I think you called it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, say more about that. So it actually kind of started for me when I was reading this book um, by Jenny Schaefer um, called Life Without Ed. And it personifies your eating disorder as this guy named Ed and how that's a different voice than your actual voice. So I started to kind of learn to decipher between the thoughts because it's a strange concept to think that this thought came into my head, but it's not actually, it doesn't actually belong to me. Right. Mm. So then once I started working with Sarah, she started explaining those kinds of things to me. And what I've learned is that my true self would never think anything other than love and kindness. So when I hear, or I feel a thought or something come into my head about, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't eat that because you're going to gain weight. Or if you do this, it means that you're a bad person or whatever it might be. I used to let those thoughts completely control my life and my actions and everything else. And some, and you can't always control that whether or not they come up, but now I have the ability to recognize like that doesn't belong to me. I'm going to act against that thought. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a big step. Yeah. It's like discerning what is true of love and what is at some level of fear or distraction or ego, as you say. Exactly. Wow. So that sounds like a major piece of preventative practice for you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very easy to get tricked into thinking that, you know, these thoughts are true and that you should follow them and that that's going to keep you safe and keep you where you think you need to be. And it's just, it's a slippery slope. It's a... Mm -hmm learned pattern of behavior that has to be unlearned and replaced with a new one. In, in your experience of um, this, did you find that there was like body image related or was it more mm-hmm. like of a, a mental thinking kind of thought form condition or a combo of both? Um, I would say a combo for sure, but definitely uh-huh. like I experienced body dysmorphia on a very extreme level. I um, until last year still did. Uh, and depending on whether I felt hungry or if I was full, I would see something different in the mirror, which is I, my rational brain knows that that's totally ridiculous, but it's so real. Um, no matter how much weight I lost or gained, I, I could see different things depending on how I was feeling. Like your, your mind would see that or you mm-hmm. would actually like, it's like you'd see it. You would just see it that yeah, way. Like you look in the mirror and you're like, wait a second. I look, I saw myself 15 minutes ago before I ate dinner. And I look different. And now I feel like I look like I've gained 15 pounds in the last yeah, 20 minutes. So. Absolutely. Would that be like a form of this Ed character? I think so. I That I don't really have the answer to, but it's something that I know a lot of people who struggle with eating disorders have experienced. And uh, yeah, body dysmorphia is like a totally real thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Wow. I just so appreciate your vulnerability and honesty about this. Oh, I, yeah. I almost guarantee there are people listening to our conversation that are struggling right now with mm. this. And um, that's something that also I think is really encouraging is this group that you've created. Mm-hmm. Remind me of the name because I always mess it up. <laughs> uh, soulful Nourishment. Soulful Nourishment. Mm-hmm. And like, say a bit about this. Well, what is this group all about? How did this happen? Um, well, 
when I got out of treatment in Toronto, I went to an aftercare program. Um, I reached out to the only one that they have in Winnipeg at the time, and they had a year and a half waiting list to go to their support groups. Now, I, from what I understand, they have closed the wait list um, because there's so many people on it. So when I came back, um, things had been going really well for me in Toronto. And when I came back, it was a really big shift. Again, I was living here by myself for a period of time um, before Jake was able to get here. And and there was no form of support for me whatsoever. Um, so after looking into it and I, I'm like, this can't, this can't be like we have, we're a whole province here and there's no support. So I, I think kind of incorporated it into my own personal journey in setting it as a goal. Um, because I didn't want to start something where I was in a sense supporting other people until I felt really comfortable with where I was at. Mm -hmm. Um, so I spent some time really doing, uh, a lot of self-reflection and journaling and, really trying to push myself towards the place where I believe that I'm at now where it really doesn't affect my day-to-day life anymore. And then I approached Sarah, um, especially mostly because I, you know, wanted her guidance on it and I needed a space to do it. And she instantly offered up using Temple 23. Which is an amazing space in Winnipeg. Oh, it's It's, unbelievable. Like it's just unbelievable. It's, you walk in there and you, your body instantly warms up and you just feel comfortable. She, crystal grids, the whole place, the, all of the energy is so protected. It's just a really, and it's just beautiful. She's designed everything in just an incredible way. So, um, once I had the space, I was actually thinking I might just host it in my living room. And she was like, no, 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 no. Like you should, you should have it in a, in a spot for sure. Yeah. So then she kind of helped me, um, start planning and we came up with the name together and, um, wow. with another one of my girlfriends and, and then it started. So, and it's fairly recent, this group. Yeah. We just started in the new year. And so how does it work? Well, who comes to this and what does it look like? Um, so we have it on Thursday nights, uh, from eight until 9 PM, uh, at Temple 23 in one of their rooms. Um, and whoever wants to come can come. We've had as much as like seven people. And sometimes we've only had three or four. Um, some of the girls that come and we're open to men as well, of course, but it's only been women so far. Um, I know. And I, until I started posting about this and talking about hosting the group, there were some people that I have known for a really long time that I didn't know struggled with this as well. Mm. Um, so that was really interesting. And then there were, I put some posters up at Starbucks and I've got a few girls coming now that I had never met before. Wow. Um, and is it specifically around people with eating disorders mm-hmm. that, and it's to discuss it or is it to support each other? So what we do is the book that I had referred to, uh, by Jenny Schaefer, she actually wrote a second one that I really love and she's got these really small chapters with a question at the end. Hmm. So we start with, I actually should mention, I used to go to NA meetings in Toronto uh, where I actually talked about eating stuff all the time, but through the process of this, I had some issues with substance abuse as well. Um, so I kind of formatted it a little bit on the way that they do things because the whole the whole foundation of NA and AA and all those kinds of things is it's addicts helping addicts and alcoholics helping alcoholics, right? Because empathy is what kills shame. When you can feel what someone else has gone through and you can sit there with them and understand what they've gone through, or you can tell a story where they have, you know, that they can actually relate to. That's what really kills shame. And interestingly, it's, I've found that sympathy in contrast where you're, 
you feel badly for someone, but you don't actually understand what they're going through kind of magnifies shame. So I thought that it would be really cool to translate that into support for eating disorders. Um, this so, is powerful. Can you, can we, can we I want to slow this down because okay. what you just said was very profound to me. Okay. So empathy kills shame mm-hmm. and sympathy magnifies shame. Yeah. And so the difference between empathy and sympathy in your, in your view of this would, would be to be put simply would be, you know, empathy would be, I understand. And this is something that I've gone through that can show you that I understand and that I can sit with you and feel this with you. Uh-huh. Whereas sympathy is kind of, I'm so sorry that you're going through this, but I, I can't understand it. And that makes you feel more isolated and more alone and makes your shame grow. So wow, yeah. that is so powerful. Yeah. Can you, can you even give us an ex- example of this? Just like, um, I don't know, this, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but yeah. like an example of what an empath- an empathetic person uh, connecting would be versus somebody that's coming from sympathetic. So even just from the group perspective, when not that there's anything wrong with obviously clinicians and that type of way of dealing with these kinds of things, but in my experience, talking to a doctor... Um, who has no idea what it feels like to have an eating disorder, yes. s- express sympathy like they feel badly for me, um, makes me feel like more of a failure, like m- more so that I'm alone and that I'm misunderstood. Uh, Whereas if I talk to, if I'm feeling really stressed about something to do with my eating disorder or any other mental health issue, if I go to one of my best friends, Lauren, for example, who knows what this feels like and has gone through it with me, just her saying I understand. I hear you. I see you. I'm I sorry see. that you're feeling this way. Yeah. Um, what can I do to help? That makes you feel less alone and yeah. shame kind of goes away. Wow. So mm-hmm. at, like at one fu- foundational level, I imagine this is part of why this group is being formed. Exactly. That you're putting together. Yeah, exactly. Is, is empathy and support. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very powerful <laughs> yeah. vision that you've got coming through here right now. Thank you. Wow. And anybody can join this. Anyone can come. Yeah, we do the little reading. Um, so kind of based off of the NA model, we uh, have a book and then we pass it around. You introduce yourself, you read as much or as little as you'd like, and then goes on to the next person until the reading's done. Then there's a question at the end. Everyone brings a journal and uh, we take some time to journal the answer to the question, which is also in itself a really nice exercise that you can look back and kind of see how you're feeling about these different questions and uh, at different times. And then we share on that or on whatever you want to talk about that's going on. Um, we do have some guidelines on how to share so that people aren't triggered. Uh, and then we end with a five to 10 minute meditation. We do an emotion check-in and a goal for the week. And then we take off. That's incredible. Yeah. I just love it. Um, <laughs> if you just come back to the, the theme of shame for a second as yeah. well, I feel like that word has really been... Um, elevated through the work of Brene Brown. Are you yeah, familiar with Brene's very, work? Very, very much so. She yeah. speaks a lot about shame. Yeah, I might even just be direct quoting her. You know? Really? Oh, you yeah. should be, I guess, <laughs> if you feel free. She's uh, she's amazing. She's quite an incredible woman. I, I'd love to know uh, your thought on, on what shame means. Like, what is that exactly to you? Well, I think people really interchangeably use um, the terms guilt and shame. And I think yes. they're very different, Yeah, uh, which what? is, I think, which she might've been where I've read that from, that guilt is I did something bad and shame is I am bad. Um, and the really important distinction between those two is that shame is not a useful emotion 
to have to be constantly sitting in shame thinking that you're a bad, useless person is not going to push you forward. But guilt can actually be a productive emotion. If you can acknowledge, maybe I did something that I don't like or that it made me feel bad or wasn't the best decision, you can remove that from who you are as a human being and change your action. Whereas when you're stuck in shame, it's all tied up in your identity and who you are as a person. Wow. How do, how do people... Um develop shame like how does that come on just like we all carry it at some level i believe like a lot yeah. of us really struggle with that any any thoughts in, from your mm. viewpoint about how do we how do we get this like how do we get I, to the oh, state man. of shame like why is that uh, i think a lot of it comes from not sharing your emotions uh probably i i definitely don't know the exact answer to this but i would it's say your viewpoint of it yeah that you know um going through years of small or big trauma um, and not talking about it and feeling alone and feeling like you can't express what's happening. I think that's when you start to feel like that I am isolated, I am bad. Because when you start to share that with people that you love, they'll tell you otherwise. And if you trust them, you'll believe them. So I think a lot of it comes from being isolated, bottling feelings, numbing Mm -hmm. them with various coping mechanisms and ultimately feeling really, you know, not good about who you are. Wow. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to like break out of that alone pattern of mm-hmm. what, however it manifests mm-hmm. and to put it out there that I feel alone or I feel shame or I don't feel enough and yeah. to like risk it telling your community of mm-hmm. that, even though they might be supporting you. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah, it's definitely scary. We always, I think as human beings, we want people to think that we've got it all together and we are good to go and we don't need help and all that. But um, every time that I have shared about my feelings and felt really vulnerable and really nervous and, and scared to, you know, put myself out there, I've every single time been overwhelmed by the amount of support and the amount of people that reach out and say, thank you for saying that because I wouldn't have had the guts to. And now I don't feel alone. So yeah. it's all worth it. So people that are listening that are struggling with shame, with perhaps an eating disorder or an, any other addiction mm-hmm. going on, um, what advice do you have for them right now in the state that they're in? Reach out. Reach out. Mm-hmm. To who? Someone you love and trust. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. voice it. Because mm-hmm. it starts to dissipate when you say it out loud. It's some, I think a Brene Brown quote is that you know, shame is is killed in the light and is magnified when you keep it inside. Um, once you start, and things always seem so much worse when they're in your head, and it's just this conversation with yourself and your ego bouncing around. But as soon as <laughs> you know, as soon so as you start true. to say it out loud, yeah. even in therapy, I think a lot of times you answer your own questions, but you don't do that until you actually speak them. You mentioned the light, mm-hmm. bring it to the light, and it just kind of triggered me into this um, question of spirituality mm-hmm. for you. What is that like? What is that for you? So, um, I would consider myself to be a very spiritual person. And I would say that that was the final piece in my recovery. Um, I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school from kindergarten to grade 12. So Um, did I. Yeah. (laughs) It was great. You know, it was, uh, went to church. Both of my parents are very spiritual people, but also very open people. Um, my dad is, is, you know, pretty much Catholic as still goes to church and all of that. And, uh, but is also has always made me feel like, you know, I can believe in whatever I want to believe in as long as it's something greater than myself. 
Uh, he said to me, you know, it doesn't matter how you get there, kid, as long as it, whatever it is, it's bringing you closer to our creators. I think something that you should be a part of. Mm. So I've always had the freedom to find what my version of spirituality is and it kind of changes, but, uh, how about currently? <laughs> What's your current experience of spirituality? Um, well, I've, as I said, I've been doing all these healings with Sarah at Temple 23. So really, um, focused around that, uh, modern mystery school teachings, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm still figuring it out, but I have such a profound sense that there's a reason why I'm here and there's a reason why we're all here and not knowing exactly what that is, is okay. Um, but it, and I never denied there being a God. I've always felt very comfortable with conversation about it and, and using the word God, it's never bothered me. But when I was in the years of really uh, deep mental illness, I was totally closed off to spirituality and was completely just in my own head and was not accepting any light into my life at all. Um, and once I kind of let it go and let go of the control of needing to have all the answers and um, let myself feel that love that I feel from connecting to a higher power through meditation and through prayer and that sort of stuff, uh, honestly, the acceptance of God really into my life was how I recovered from an eating disorder. I managed it for a long time. I think, you know, first you need medicine because you need your, it's a, your body's in a really challenging state when you've gone through an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, that's step number one. And mm. then you need psychology. You need trained professionals to help you start to talk about your feelings and, and name things and understand why you're feeling the way that you are. And then, but it, it wasn't until I actually started practicing spirituality that I felt like I was free from this. Wow. Yeah. So how would you um, describe your connection to God now? Like w what does the word God mean to you? Uh, God is love um, that in its purest form. And uh, my dad's always said that, that love is willing the good of the other. So just willing goodness for everyone. Huh. It's light, you know, for me, that would be a big word that I would associate it with. Yeah, that word light comes up a lot. I see the image of just like yeah. white light all around yeah. as we're speaking <laughs> yeah. about this too, Yeah, which is quite amazing. Yeah. 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 And I, I got the sense too, as you're, you're speaking, just about seeing that light or that love in, in everything. Like in everything to, mm -hmm. to kind of embrace that. Mm -hmm. When you look back at all that you've been through um, now, you know, as with a bird's eye view or mm -hmm. removed from it to an extent, it, do you see any love that um, was there? I think so. I think I just wasn't open to accepting it. And you have to be willing, in my opinion. Um, have you have you come to a place of... Um, kind of, was there a reason for all of this? I think so. I think the work that I'm doing now with this, um, I also, I'm trying to go to med school. So I think having a perspective of going through these kinds of mental health issues would make me better at that. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people, even in a couple months that we've been running this group, there's been quite a few people that need help and uh, somebody's got to do it. So I think it, being in the position of going through it myself and coming out the other side of it, that's where it puts me in a position to actually help other people do the same. Wow. There's so, so much life purpose that you're living <laughs> into here by, by just stepping into the, the arena of it. Yeah. As Brene would say, the arena yeah. of yeah. your life purpose. Um, 
being in med school right now, how, how far I'm, in? I'm not in med school yet. You're not. You're, no, no. <laughs> you're going to move into it? Yeah, uh, I'm writing the MCAT next summer. So okay. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, it's been a long road going back to school and deciding that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's so clear to me that that is my life's purpose because I have, it's such a long, hard road, even just getting ready to apply, taking the classes you have to take, making yeah. sure your grades are high enough, that kind of stuff. Like buckle your seatbelt, Sarah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of work. You're about to go through a lot of work with that. Yeah. yeah and I don't, don't imagine it's going to get any easier. Sure. Um, but I have, I've gone through, you know, I worked in Toronto in design and construction for five years and, you know, working for an engineer and it was great, but it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I thought maybe I'll be a physiotherapist. Maybe I'll be a therapist. Maybe I will be a teacher. Maybe I will be a rock star. Like, I don't know. Like I've tried <laughs> so, so many, many things. different things. And the only thing that I have consistently always come back to is medicine. Um, I don't know exactly what form that will take yet, but I know that that's a sign that that's what I need to be doing. And I finally, three years ago was like, all right, Okay, uh, I got to do this. It's I'm you know I'm not getting any younger at this point, and I had to go back to school at three years ago now. So I was yeah. 24 or something at the time. Now I'm still in school with a bunch of really young kids, but it's fine. What is it about medicine that you keep coming back to? I just want to help. Like I feel like that's been a driving force in my life, my whole life. Um, I like. It, I take a lot of pride and I feel a lot of satisfaction in helping people. Um, and I think that being in medicine um, gives you a really solid platform to be able to do that. And from a place of intelligence and, uh, and hard work that you can, you know, it's a, it's a social norm that we listen to our doctors, right? So how amazing would it be to have a doctor that really cares and has also been through some of the things that maybe people are dealing with. Absolutely. I recently had a, a physician on the show who was talking, uh, Friedman Schwab came on. Mm -hmm. He's this amazing physicist, mm -hmm. uh, medical guy, yeah. but he's also very rooted in spirituality. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting speaking with him about the bridge between those two worlds of like Western medicine and Eastern kind of spirituality that he was into. Mm -hmm. And I just love to hear a little bit of your perspective as you're entering into that field of medicine, what yeah. what do you think the future of medicine is about? I, I think it's going to change for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it makes sense that there's been these two different ways of treating people with medicine that have formed in different places of the world that should probably start to listen to each other a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's absolutely a time and a place for emergency medicine, of course, and for pharmaceuticals when they're needed. Um, but I also think that there needs to be a lot less of it and that there's a lot more natural remedies that could be tried first. Um, like I, someone that's gone through an eating disorder like myself for a very long time, I really struggled with digestion after getting myself back to a healthy weight and mm. eating like a normal human being. Mm -hmm. My stomach was not happy and I tried everything. And the only thing that works for me is peppermint oil. Really? Mm hmm Wow, it just has a calming effect on your digestive system. I put it right on my stomach. And if I feel really, I, I used to feel nauseous every single morning when I woke up for two years. And once I found that, I can totally cope. How did you discover that? That's amazing. Oh, I started actually, um, there's a, my friend Janelle, um, she is a young living rep and she had been posting huh. about this starter kit of the essential oils. Yeah. And I love science and I love learning about, I also love plants. So I, did a little bit of reading into it and she'd swore by so many different things. Um, so I ordered one of them and, uh, 
now I probably have like 60 oils sitting in my living room. <laughs> and I just use them for everything. So. Really? What are some of the other oils you use? I'm just curious. Oh, um, well, I have, uh, I wear lava stones on my bracelets, um, especially your, for Your anxiety. dad does too, because last time I saw him, he was wearing one of those. Yeah, yeah I actually yeah. got it for him. Um, okay. I picked his his uh, crystals that went on it very carefully. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> got it. Uh, but the lava stones on the bracelet, you can put oils right on them and... Uh, they will absorb the oil. So wow. there's some that I find very grounding um, and I get pretty bad test anxiety, especially with some of the like math-based courses. I can panic and then totally f- not know what to do. Mm, uh, I remember that oof. feeling from high school. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. So I will, yeah. like before an exam, I'll actually put like cedarwood or, you know, patchouli or something like that on my wrist or I have like a super, it's called the Superman oil or the Superwoman oil. If I need like a boost or if I, those kinds of things, I'll choose what I want to put on and put it on my bracelet in the morning. And then like, I will literally be in the middle of an exam and stop and just take like a huge whiff of my wrist and people probably think I'm crazy, but it works. So wow, maybe that... some of it's just in my head, but it, it works for me. So. This is so <laughs> fun. I was not expecting to talk about essential oils, yeah, no. but it's like one of my passions too is, is the essential oil world. No way. And yeah. And I've, I've always been curious about like, and I'm wondering if maybe you know this, like why, um, why oils have such a healing quality or have different qualities for people? Like, why is that? Well, I mean, the way that I think about it is that I think our world was pretty carefully created. Um, And it obviously humans are very smart and they've come up with lots of solutions for things with biochemistry and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it makes really good sense to me that the plants that are on our planet have a purpose. Um, There's so many of them. Mm. Like it's actually learning plant biology right now. And it's, uh, I find it really cool. And it just, it makes sense that however this world was created, um, that why wouldn't they have purpose? Uh, so when you extract them and put them into an oil form, it, it makes perfect sense to me that they have different medicinal properties. Wow. Yeah. This is taking me into all the Hawaiian work that I've done mm-hmm. where the Hawaiians were all based plant-based mm-hmm. medicine, uh, first yeah. to go there and mind-based too. Yeah. All of what you're talking about. Yeah. So I think if you integrate all of those concepts and meditation, mindfulness, mental wellness, you know, a little bit of natural medicine with modern medicine, then, you know, we'd be in really good shape. Wow. I just got the quote that I've heard before of like, healer, heal thyself. Mm -hmm. I forget who said that, but I know it's an ancient quote. Yeah. And I see you as somebody who's really a healer Mm. um, who has been healing herself the whole time along. So like, as you say, you can relate to anybody else that shows up in your path that you also will be healing as you heal. It's just such an incredible living uh, spirit Mm. in you. I really appreciate that. That's doing that work. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah. I have a couple final things. I, you mentioned earlier that you tried being a rock star and oh. I just had to ask you, <laughs> what did that uh, track look like for you? Oh, well, I mean, in my head, in the, I play lots of music. So really? uh, yeah. Yeah. Like do you uh, actually play an instrument? I or? do. Yes. What do you play? Uh, I'm a singer, uh, mostly. Um, oh my gosh. But I... I'm classically trained on piano. Uh, I've been playing the drums since I was a little kid and I've, I'm very self-taught on guitar. Like I, I'm like, if there's a bar chord involved, like I'm out, I can't do it. But <laughs> if it's, you know, your basic chords, I can, I, I like to play the guitar while I'm singing, but it's, what kind it's, of music do you like to sing? This is incredible. Ooh, um, I love like jazz and blues. Uh, is my favorite. It's kind of a Minalto, which is a little low for, so am I. I oh really? Wow. Yeah. Yes. So it's, uh, I end up singing lots of, um, 
bluesy stuff. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I wish I had a tenor voice for me. Like, yeah. it's like, oh, I wish I could get up there to the higher notes. Yeah. But we are what we are. Absolutely. That's cool. So did you actually pursue a music career? Or were you no, just no. dabbling in it? I definitely thought about it a lot, um, but I never thought about it enough to do anything about it. Okay. I think there's always, there's always going to be a part of me that wants to be a musician, but uh, I know that that's not my path because there's never really been a super strong urge to stop going to school and learning. No, you're you're very, like I just being with you, you're very well, like rounded in terms of all of the different things that you're (laughs) interested (laughs) in. You've got this like beautiful mind that's very Mm. sharp and like a spirit that's just so alive and connected. Mm. It's really quite amazing. Who like has been your influences? And like, what's, how, how did you move into that? Like it's this My parents, honestly, like my parents are incredible and it was tough with us over the years. Um, I put them through a lot. They were really worried about me for a long time. And, you know, my mom and I butt butt heads quite a bit when I was younger. And it's so funny because we're now we laugh about how similar we are. And I think that I was, I just told her yesterday, you know, like, I think I was fighting myself at the time. So I was also fighting you because you were so similar to who I actually am. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And my dad and I have a ton in common, always have, and I've always looked up to him and between the two of them, I think I, I get all of my gifts from them. Wow. Amazing. Well, you just got this wonderful, uh, well-rounded, uh, mind, body, and spirit that's, uh, here on the planet at this time. And I totally see it in you. And I'm just so excited about, especially this group, uh, that you've created, Name it one more time. Soulful Nourishment. Soulful Nourishment. Yeah. How did you come to that name? So initially we had named it the Anti-Diet Club because a friend of mine started a group in BC and that's what she called it. And I didn't, I just went along with it, which is, and it's a great name, but it just didn't, after sitting with it for a couple of weeks, it just didn't feel like it encompassed what we were trying to say. Um, so at the first meeting, no one showed up. <laughs> okay. It was just me and Sarah. And at my, the anti-diet club yes. meeting. Yeah. So we kind of think that maybe that was for a reason so that we could rebrand before people actually started coming. Um, so Sarah and my friend Danielle and I sat and just brainstormed and Sarah actually came up with the word nourishment. She said, I like that word. You know, I don't think you nourish yourself when you're yeah. struggling with an eating disorder. Um, so I just kind of started messing around with stuff and it, I saw the word soulful. And then I just saw an extra L being full, like fill up your soul. So Ah. it's soulful with two L's at the end. And then our little tagline is fill up on self-love. That's amazing. Yeah. One final thing that's popping in is souls. What is soul to you? Soulful. Well, um, I think it's the essence of who you really are, you know, and I actually, I don't, can't even place where I read this now, but um, recently found out, I think it was Sarah that told me this actually, that your soul actually has weight. They've done studies now that yeah. when, before you die and after you die, they weigh your body. And I think it's like 0.5 ounces that there's a difference between before and after you die. So your soul is, uh, I think it's your energy center. It's who you are. It's God in you. And, uh, it can be really denied when you're struggling with any form of mental illness. And if you start paying attention to it and that's when the magic starts to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that that's definitely happened for you. Yeah. And I love that you're opening this up so courageously to our community. Oh, well, yeah. I yeah. appreciate you 
given me the platform to talk about it. So, so I know that we have listeners from all over the world that listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. but if you happen to be in Winnipeg on a Thursday evening, uh, go to Temple 23 mm-hmm. and uh, that's the invitation Absolutely. at this point. Who knows where this will go? Yeah. Um, if people want to stay in touch with you, what's what's the best way? Um. Probably we're like the group is on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, You can also find um, a link to our Facebook group through Sarah's website at Temple 23. Okay. Uh, We're on the schedule there as well in case someone forgets when it is. Uh, But our Instagram name is soulful.nourishment on Instagram or it's soulful nourishment on Facebook. So you can follow us there and send me a message. I'm happy to chat with anybody. Awesome. We'll also post that in the show notes for people to, awesome. to stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. Thank you for having me. And uh, oh, it's just been so awesome to be here with you. Mm, you as well. Well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect. And I'm feeling right now deep love in my heart and a real sense of gratitude after spending that time with Sarah Chipman. I hope she's also touched your heart as much as she has mine. Be sure to check out her group, Uh, the Soulful Nourishment Group. And until next time, everybody, have a lovely week and we'll see you on the next episode of Let's Connect.